Hello and welcome to the Vlogging Pod. Tonight we are joined by sci-fi fantasy author Belle Manuel. <laughs> welcome, welcome to the room, Ben. ben I'm sorry, it's tongue-tied. Welcome to the room, Belle. It's a pleasure to have you this evening. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Wonderful. And full disclosure, I have to say this. I have um, all my dogs out here. So if you hear a noise, that's probably what it is. Um, my husband has one more week of teaching. So <laughs> my my She Shed podcast station here out here, my sound booth is now a dog house. I know. We have officially begun that cycle. <laughs> So it happens to and the better of us, right? <laughs> oh yes, well, well, you know, they're like our babies, so they're here with us. <laughs> um, so let's start off tonight about talking about your first stages of writing. I think, if I'm correct, it began in middle school. Yeah, I started writing in middle school just for fun. Um, it was just interesting, and we were always bored in class, so I would write little stories for my friends. And then other students that weren't my friends started reading what was in the notebook. And then it got to where I would go to the library once a week by high school and just print out dozens of chapters for people in the school. Nice. Nice. So it would seem that you've been very invested into writing since your earliest beginnings. And I've read that these investments have created a very emotional reactions within you. Such as, um, let's say, death scenes. <laughs> tell tell yes. us about that. Um, I am one of those authors that um, I recently did a panel thing and we joked about that. I'm kind of mean. I enjoy killing off characters that my readers love, that I want my readers to love, because it's very real. You know, it's just, I notice a lot of writers kill side characters that don't matter. And uh, that doesn't hurt. But when it's the main character, when it's someone really important, that's how you get where even as I'm typing it, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's onions. Oh, someone's cutting onions by my desk right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's interesting. Um, I do. It, it, it's also really good because even if it's not death with romance, even mm. you kind of can put those fantastical elements right. Like, there's never going to be someone who really shows up on a white unicorn in medieval attire and a sword who's here to serenade you, right? But it's really fun to write about. Oh, my gosh. Yes, it is. It is. It is. It is. Um, so when you do that, do you go in right in with the writing idea, whatever story premise you're doing, with knowing right then and there which character you're going to kill off? I have sometimes, yeah. Um my series of Blades and Shadows, it's a new adult series that follows an assassin. One of the main characters in that series was originally supposed to die. He was supposed to be that sacrificial lamb trope. Uh-huh. But I ended up liking him a little too much. So I <laughs> like I was just like, man, this guy's really funny. I want to keep him around. But I usually have an idea of what kind of loss I want that character to experience. It might not be the death of a loved one. Perhaps it's a war starting, and I do have that in mind, so I can kind of go, okay, so I know there needs to be death, but who would be more important without sacrificing the story, right? If I kill the best friend, it might be too much, but if I kill this character that pops up every other chapter and is important, but 
that isn't necessary to the story, then I can know how to fluff that person up, make sure that they're really lovable so that I can just destroy them. <laughs> well, since you mentioned um, Blades of Shadow, that will be relating to my next question. So as we refer to your writing, let's talk about the series Stole, Soul, I'm sorry, tongue-tied, happens to me all the time, <laughs> Soul Stealer Saga and the first yeah. in that series of Blades and Shadows. Tell us about this book. So Blades and Shadows is a story that follows an assassin, Arena, that was sold on or into essentially slavery, not slavery in the way our world knows it, but what's called skin dealing. They'll procure poor people and they'll sell them to courtesan dealers and assassins and these kind of things, guilds to make money off of them. So it's a different form of slavery and different repercussions in their world. Um, and it follows just basically her going from the moment she gets to leave that house and get to go in her world and just her growing in the world. So we see her helping the Dark Throne, which is the uh, seat of power in the underworld. And she finds the lost heir in the first book. In our next subsequent books, we'll see her having to find the other heirs and return them to the underworld, hopefully without too much consequence. Hmm. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but you are a fairly new author, correct? Yes, okay. I was traditionally published back in 2015 for the first time, and then I took a six-year hiatus um, after I left that publishing firm, and I just started publishing again in 2020. Okay. All right, well, tell me about the, the book in 2015. Tell me about that. It was my first attempt. It was science fiction. It was basically a modern-day Avatar The Last Airbender. Ah. I set it in my hometown in Texas, and... It was just very much a debut novel, right? A lot of mistakes in it that I wouldn't make now. The story's a little muddy. So I took a few years to really throw myself into my editing and get really into studying story structure and, you know, college. I did that. And the, so now my writing's a, a bit stronger. I'm not embarrassed by it, but it's definitely not my strongest work. Hmm. Now, do you still own the rights to this? I do have the rights reverted back to me a couple years ago, um, but I'm not going to pursue the series anymore. I honestly don't even know what I would do with the story anymore. It It's so far away from what my style is now that I would have to basically completely rebrand and retry it and all that. Right. Well, I, I'm familiar with Airbender, <laughs> so... Yes, it's a great show. <laughs> yes, so when you say a, um, well you know, a more up-to-date version of something, of more today's generals, that intrigues me very much so. Um, so Yeah, I think the idea was strong. I just think if I executed it now, it would probably be a very much stronger story. But I was, how old was I, 22? 22. So it was my first complete novel that wasn't on Wattpad. Sometimes <laughs> was it super dramatic. Sometimes I think it's fun to go back and tweak stuff even more after you've, you've learned and you've grown. So that would be something very interesting that I would actually like to see. If you ever tried to go back to do it, let me know, because I would be extremely interested. Well, I am tempted now. <laughs> I just well, might have to. <laughs> well, you keep me informed. Um, <laughs> so with this new start 
after 2015. You started again in 2021, yes? Yes. Okay. And you did it with a trilogy. 2020, okay. And you did it with a trilogy that was attached to your name with three books in the Twisted Fates trilogy. So take, yes. let's take a moment and tell us about the trilogy. And I know it's a trilogy, but I'm also curious, is there going to be any more coming afterwards or is the trilogy complete? That's a great question. So the trilogy itself is a Hades and Persephone retelling that I really wanted to have fun with because I am a literature and history nerd. That's what my degree is in. Okay. So I have mythology books all over my shelf. I've taken everything from Nordic mythology to Native American mythology. And I always have loved Hades and Persephone's story because it's so weird. <laughs> and it's also the most wholesome. And so in the Twisted Fates trilogy, we see Evelette as our Persephone going through her life. And she basically escapes this very isolated desert country and discovers the world as a vehicle for the reader to discover the world. Fae, fairies, elves, magic, all these things she didn't know existed. And Kyrell, our Hades figure, becomes a pseudo-antagonist along the way. So we see the first book is Evelette trying to find her place in the world. The second book sees her in that place and trying to claim power for herself and be the awesome goddess that we all know Persephone to be now. And then, of course, the third book, we shall have to see how they decide to reign over the underworld and how that will have consequences for the mortal realms. So you think that you might have another book coming up? So, so Twisted Fates trilogy is set in my Ferenian universe. Ferenian is the main country territory that is referenced a lot, so I just call it the Ferenian universe. Okay. Of Blades and Shadows is actually set there. Um, Arena grows up in Elrin, which is a city that is referenced heavily all throughout book two of the Twisted Fates trilogy, but it's several centuries after and so we'll see some familiar characters pop up but they're not main story if you oh, will. okay so you're and then um so you're saying a blades and shadows is sort similar to a continuation of it it's along the yes si it's okay. very grisha verse it's very grisha verse the books are connected but you can read each series separately and you're you're still going to get the information that you need oh nice so, and I do have other series planned in it. Nice. So since there's so much development based off of one series going into another books and keeping it along the same verse as what you're saying, tell me the layers of creating this world. Tell me how that came about, all the layers in it. So it started really simple. Um, I knew I, I moved to a desert town in Southern California and I hate how hot it is so I put my main character in a desert and it's I know someone hot. else who says that to me daily <laughs> my goodness and I took a lot of the inspiration of our environment around us you know it's very sandy there's rolling hills off in the distance there's mountains in the distance but she's away from it and it started there with me building her country and then when she went to Taya I had to develop not only an elven kingdom but a culture for it too. And so I went through my history studies and I started taking pieces of everything. So like Ferin, their, their language, Ferinian, is actually based on Russian. Tayan language is based on Spanish um, and they have similar customs and things like that. 
and it slowly just evolved from there. And then, of course, each species has their own unique culturistic things. Um, a, a one small one is elves and their hair. Elves don't cut their hair except once a year. If they're super observant, of course, there's plenty of elves that don't follow it. But elves will only cut their hair once a year, and they bury it in the woods as an offering to the gods, just to kind of, because the elves are supposed to be tied more to nature than any other species, and so that's like a cultural thing they do. And so when we see a character's hair get cut against their will, it kind of instills that in your in your reader audience, like, oh, oh, that's a big deal for them. Oh, no, no, no. You know, and it... It's just one of those things. I have a lot of tiny things for each culture that I've pulled around and really kind of built my world into it. And it definitely takes forever. I have notepads filled with, don't forget this, this and this culture means this, <laughs> this one in this language means this. Okay. So do you find that a chart board is productive for this to like? Yes. Okay. I have this flipper board thing. Ah, yes. It's It's been very helpful and I literally will just like for uh, a King's Park and the third in my Twisted Fates trilogy for example the back of my board had one bullet point for each of the three main POVs and then branches from there this is what needs to happen and then branches from there this detail needs to occur look back in page one page 200 you know something like that so that I can remember the details and perfectly do those little easter eggs that readers love wonderful now you just mentioned Easter eggs, so I'm going to skip a question and I'm going to go right down to that, okay? <laughs> because I did make a note on this. Um, of I, I like to research my guests before they come on. So, and you're you're fairly new, so it took me a little bit to find some stuff, you know. Um, I'm so sorry. No, 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 no. <laughs> I enjoy the uh, task. I do. Um, but one thing I did find out about you was that. You like to put Easter eggs, and and for people that don't understand this analogy, um, these are literary extra layers that are put into books um, that people, that readers who are truly into the series, will either pick up on and relate to. So, tell us why these are such a favorite of yours to do. So Easter eggs are a favorite of mine because some of my favorite authors in literature do them so beautifully. Um, of Mice and Men, which is the nod that I'm doing with my title of Blades and Shadows, uh, Steinbeck does beautiful, alliter uh, not alliteration, allusions to things that come later on in his novels. And not only do his titles alone give you a hint at the overall trope, you very much get a feeling of what kind of book you're going to be reading. Sarah J. Mass, if we're going to stick with fantasy, is one of the best at doing this, right? She has these tiny little Easter eggs all the way in chapter one of Throne of Glass that don't ever come out until the Battle of Ken Kingfire, seven books later. And when it does, to me, it just gives you that feeling of, oh my gosh, that was so well planned. <laughs> and I, I, I dream of the day when I find one of my readers on Reddit catching something that I've done because I have meticulously put in quite a few across the series to be like little hints like mm -hmm. a famous one from Sarah J Mass is with the male mates when they approach their female they always say there you are and that's supposed to be your big hint all oh, their mates Rowan says it to Aelin um Rhysand says it to Feyre Cassian says it to Nesta at one point that there you are is her little Easter egg. You know what this means. This means this guy is important. 
So I have little things like that that I'm hoping readers catch on to because I just feel it deepens the experience for the reader and very makes it makes it very much more immersive, if you will. Right. I understand that. Um, so one thing I found interesting about you is that you're just not a writer. You're also an editor. Am I correct? I, I am an editor. I'm an editor and proofreader in my day job. Oh, nice. Okay. So, but there was one other thing that I also found. Um, you also are on Etsy. <laughs> yes, I have a little bookish shop. I just started it up this year. It needs, I'm still working on stuff, putting it in there. It's very small right now. I'm about to do stickers and candles in the next few months and get all that going. But right now, I think I have like my book bags and, um, oh my gosh, I'm blanking. <laughs> That's all right. I have little I'm, bookish, bookish knickknacks for now. I, I'm working on doing bookmarks and stuff like that as well. I have you actually, I have two computers in my sound booth. Well, I have numerous things in my sound booth, but that's an extra thing. But anyways, I'm actually looking at your Etsy page on the other. I do like to do that. I bring up some um, sites that you have either in your bios or I find it through your stuff that you've listed. Um, so I did find that interesting. The little books on keychains are quite attractive. Those are very cute. Yes. Um, They're so fun to make. Yeah. I have way too many on my keychain now. Yeah, they are very, and I love how they actually look like little books. They are adorable. Um, so yeah, but I want, what I'm curious the most about is, okay, which came first? Were you an editor, um, or a writer? Which came first, the editor or the writer? I suppose professionally speaking, writing, because okay. I didn't start editing until I graduated college, which was only two, three years ago. All right. And I started editing about partway through my senior year, just to kind of get a portfolio going, seeing the difference between editing friends' college papers and editing full novels, right? Learning how to better tell your client, this scene is awful, but without saying it like that. And I'm a very... <laughs> I'm a very <laughs> abrasive person. And so to me, in my book of critique friends, we say it like that. We'll be like, look, this is not good. You need to change this. You can't do that with someone who's paying you, right? So I had to kind of get my feet wet and learn how to do it. But I always knew that writing wasn't going to be my main job just because it takes long to pay off. Unless you get in with a big four, you're not making $45 million a year like Sarah J. Mass. And no. you're like, no. it's just not happening. So I have to have that day job and working with books was the goal. I wanted to work in the publishing industry. I wanted to work for a big four and then the pandemic hit. Yeah. And I was like, well, I guess I'll try this freelancing thing out and see if that works. And you know, it <laughs> there are some times um, in the times that I've done this podcast, we're, we're not quite a full year that I've been on the air, but a few times um, there are a few guests who jump me on questions and you have so far <laughs> Um, I'm so sorry. No, 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 don't, don't be apologized. Don't apologize. Well, I just find it interesting because you every there's like three times now so far you went in and I'm like, whoa, I got that as a question. Whoa. <laughs> so you just you just ran a segue into my next question um, because you were talking about publishing in the epidemic. Um, and that is a very good thing because. Well, it's not. It was not the epidemic's not a good thing. No, but I know it's yeah, yeah. Okay, you know what I'm saying. Okay, uh, so publishing within the last three years through the epidemic, um, it must come yeah. with some fantastic learning observations. 
Um, and the reason I say that is because we all understand on some level about how many things have become shortage or the expense of things. Um, and if you watch TikTok, we are so blown away because these last few years have been some dramatic things hitting us in the face that in our lifetime, when we take the history classes, you know what I mean? We don't find out. Yeah, that this ha- is going to yes. textbooks. Yeah. Yes, yes. These last few years, there's just so much. Every time you turn around, there's some other big dynamic exploding in our faces. So with all that, tell us the the things that you think you've learned? Because if you can publish within a pandemic, girl, I mean, come on, there has got to be some tricks to the trade here. So tell us what you've learned from doing this. Um, I am an INTJ personality type. I'm very much a go-getter. I don't ask other people. I research everything. And even if you give me a fact, I'm going to research it anyway because I think your facts are wrong and I'm going to make sure I have science. <laughs> So I learned from other people's failures. I noticed a lot of my friends that had already published the things that they had mistakes doing, um, the things that they wish they had learned. And I gathered from that. And then I did a lot of YouTube learning. I got with my professor when I was in my last few semesters. I'm sorry. Hold on a second. That was my timer, but continue your question. I just want to make sure I no, no, no. I just want to make sure I explain because we do a 20 minute podcast. But please continue. I just didn't want to be you alarmed about my buzzing. (laughs) (laughs) My professor in my last um, semester of college, I took her class for formatting novels because that was it is an expectation of editors to at least know how to format, not necessarily do it but to know formatting standards, because we help our clients with a lot more than just these words don't sound good. These words sound great, you know, and I really got into formatting. I ended up being really good at it. It came very natural to me. Once I got it down, I was crying at my desk learning the first time. But that was, that's the hardest part of publishing is formatting. And that once I learned that and working with um, InDesign for anyone out there listening, InDesign is the industry standard program. I recommend it. Okay. It, it definitely elevates your work when you kind of learn to do that. And I was able to take books off my shelf, see what they were doing and learn and teach myself how to do it in formatting so that, well, now I have little splattery chapter headers and now I have <laughs> this and this and that. Well, that's awesome. That is awesome. I, I'll be honest with you. When it comes time to the editing process, I cry a little bit too. <laughs> I hear that so much. <laughs> Oh, trust I do. Me. I hear people so much say that. And I'm so sorry. No, no, no. You don't need to be sorry. It's my, I write for the sheer enjoyment of doing it. Um, I have warning labels all over my books. Like, <laughs> if you don't like things different, don't enter here. You know? so, that's awesome. <laughs> so that is my, um, but that's, that's simply because my own live and learn. And I understand what you're saying. Um, I've been doing this for over... Oh, it's been uh, twelve over twelve years, I think. I'd have to look at the exact wow. date. Yeah, um, not the That's podcast, but that. not the podcast, but publishing. Um, yeah. And when I did my first book, I put over five grand into a, a fifteen thousand word book. Oh and gosh. Yes, but it was a learning experience. I learned how to format. Definitely. Um, 
I had to do the editing, which I, I'm not saying I'm perfect, okay? <laughs> so please do not pick my work up and be like, oh my gosh. Um, so, um, Hey, I do it for a job and I always tell my clients, this is why we do revisions because I am a human, not a machine. Yes. Everybody makes mistakes. Exactly. Well, I do it for the sheer enjoyment. I write for what I want to read. Um, it's always been a joy for me Absolutely. to do it. Um, I really see what you do and I have peeked into your covers and I see this going extremely well for you. I really do. I, I mean, I, I appreciate that so much. <laughs> that, that, that would be an awesome dream. It will. And I actually think that it is going to come to pass. I really do. Um, I want to thank you so much, Belle, for being on tonight. It's been a distinguished pleasure to have you on. Um, of course. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Well, anytime you can come back, especially if you do bring the airbender thing into play, because I really <laughs> would be interested in that. Um, I may have to look into that for you. Awesome. I want to be dedicated to you. Woo! Alrighty. Now that is a shoe in to bring you right back on here. Um, I want to thank our audience once again for your devotion to our podcast. I want to thank our wisdom. Um, I've just now started coming on this platform, the 25 people right now that are in our room. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. We have over um, six or seven listeners on Podbean. Um, we'd go out on iTunes, Amazon Music, and several others, Spotify. And it is such a joy. Every time I see a download, you guys just warm my heart. I Seriously. Um, one great thing I want to tell everyone is that you don't have to be an author to be on our show. Um, I am an author, so generally that is my circle that kind of I bring in. But um, I welcome anyone who has a story to tell because this is the place we'd love to hear it on. And if you are interested, please visit us at sheshedstudios.net. I want to thank you again, everyone. We'll see you soon. Have a great night. Bye-bye for now.